It's always fun when you get to go to the bar and watch hockey with a friend who happens to be cheering for the opposing team. We got to experience that this past week when the Minnesota Wild visited San Jose to take on John Barr's San Jose Sharks. In that game, Mr. John and myself and our other co-host, Andy, who is also here, we all went to the Angry Beaver right here in Seattle. And John and I put a little friendly wager on the game that my wild would beat the Sharks. And if my wild beat the Sharks, then I got to talk about the wild on this podcast as much as I want to. (laughs) If his Sharks won, then he gets to talk about the Sharks as much as he wants to. And guess what happened? The Sharks unfortunately won. So... You're going to be hearing from Mr. Barr a lot tonight about his disgusting team down in the <laughs> Bay Area. Somehow I feel like I'm the loser here. Like I, had nothing to, <laughs> I have nothing to gain out it's of lose, that. It's lose-lose for you. But <laughs> maybe we'll come up with something similar when the when the Canucks visit the Wild or the – I believe or, the Canucks beat the Wild about a week ago. Yeah, okay. So, so I have <laughs> a saying. Too little too late, Andy. <laughs> I have a saying. When you lose, say little. When you win, oh. say less. Okay. Put that on the locker room wall. Okay. So what you're saying is you're not really going to make us suffer with just ex- excessive shark talk. I'm going to let it simmer inside you, you looking at me, knowing mm-hmm. that I ha- I can say sharks whenever I want. Mm-kay. But the more silence makes it more dramatic, and I think you're going to have a hard harder time with it. See, so I'm it's disappointed all punishment now. to you. I was looking forward to a long breakdown on the sharks' fourth line. Tell me about Rourke Chartier. Solid two-way player, former <sighs> WHL. See from the dub? Kelowna Rockets. <laughs> It's the Sound of Hockey episode 10. We have a big episode here this week, and this is a little bit risky because from my experience of doing podcasts here over the last year and change, when you feel like you have a uh, an interview all lined up and ready to go, life sometimes get, gets in the way, but we're pretty <laughs> confident that our guest this week, who we're actually interviewing tomorrow, we're recording today on Sunday, we're interviewing her on Monday, is Emily Kaplan. Uh, so she is the national NHL reporter for ESPN, also co-host of ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan, which is just an awesome, awesome podcast. So uh, we're very, very excited to be talking to her. Also, before we dive into anything uh, really substantial, let's talk about our latest review, as we love to do, from uh, B. Kuchura or Kusura. <laughs> Kusera, maybe. Uh, it says, a great time. The guys have great chemistry together. You end up feeling like you are listening in to very knowledgeable friends, talk and joke about recent hockey news. It's a good balance of deep cuts, parentheses, WHL updates, <laughs> <laughs> and lighthearted updates, parentheses, Austin Matthews in GQ, from local and national perspectives. Yet another five-star review from our, our faithful listeners. Thank you so much. B. Kuchera, or however you pronounce your name. Thank you, B. Kuchinen. Yes, yes. Either way, however you pronounce it, we very much appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate you listening. So, again, folks, make sure you continue to send in those five-star reviews. We love, love, love getting that feedback, and it does help us grow, and we need it to continue growing. So, So keep doing it. Should we get into things, guys? Let's do this. There's a lot to talk about this week, and we have limited time with uh, with the guest that we really believe we're going to have on. So, Which that interview went really well, by the way. Great, great so interview. You're going to enjoy yeah, it. Fantastic interview. You're going to love it. So first and foremost, let's talk, as we often do, about uh, what's happening with Seattle hockey. First, uh, John, your little Friday night event at UW. Yeah, that's right. For the uh, fourth year, we did a NHL to Seattle night with the UW Hoc- um, Huskies club hockey team. What's really cool is um, we've been doing this for four years and, you know, I've always been like a grassroots kind of guy. And and this team and this club, and there's sometimes females on the team over the years, really, you know, is part of that grassroots movement. And, it, and four years ago, there wasn't a lot of momentum bringing NHL here. So it was really awesome to do it one more time because who knows what's going to happen next year as far as like NHL Seattle is going to kind of be a little bit more front and center. But they presented me an NHL to Seattle Husky sweater at the end of the, the event. And I thought that was like the coolest thing, totally surprised. And I just want to support them. And then to see them kind of appreciate it was was really neat. So anyway, thanks UW Club Hockey. They they go and play the, through February. So take a look at their schedule and try to check out a game. It's pretty affordable. There's hitting. There's some. In, it was a pretty hostile game uh, <laughs> on Friday night. So anyway, go check them out. They're a great, great team. You know, they, they really believe in the sport and really passionate about it. So it was really neat to go out there and support them. 
Yep, and a great group of kids too. So go support them. Uh, other news, and this is more relating to the NHL Seattle uh, franchise that we all know is coming. Friend of the program, Mr. Dave Tippett, was was in the news lately, uh, indicating that he is no longer interested or no longer uh, considering himself a candidate to be the head coach of uh, the Seattle franchise. What do we think about this? It's not. It's not totally surprising. He when you've talked to him, and I've, I've talked to him a couple times, John, and you talked to him. I know you know off the record a lot, but he's kind of on the record. He kind of hinted that he was really interested in more of this front office behind the scenes type of things that he's been doing. But he, but he always left that caveat out there. Well, the coaching might still be on the table. Um, so it's not totally surprising to hear him say that this is what I want to do now. I want to be more of the front office kind of guy. Uh, you know, we, when we talk, when we talked to him, we that was one of the questions we asked him. And he, he said that he, so far what he'd been doing was, was more than, more than he imagined as far as a fulfilling uh, job. So uh, it sounds like this is this is where he's at right now, where his head's at and, and what he wants to do. Yeah, I think he, he got a taste of and has enjoyed what he's doing here. And I think that's that's pretty cool. I, I honestly thought he would be the coach eventually. Um, but, you know, he would never kind of confirm. But he's always talked about looking at some of his friends, you know, behind the bench in the NHL today and how stressed they look. He always tells a story <laughs> about uh, he was watching a game with his wife and he's like, oh, man. He looks horrible out there talking about, you know, a friend who's coaching behind the bench of an NHL club. And his wife's like, well, that was you last year. So, so I, you know, there, there's probably gets a little taste of this and realizes how it's not as stressful of a life. And, you know, even on the interview that he had with, uh, I think it was Pierre Lebrun and uh, Scott Burnside. Yeah, the two-man advantage. By the way, we should probably mention that that's yeah. where this news yeah. is broken. Yeah. He, he kind of mentioned that it can get very stressful and talked about kind of being, you know, when you come home from a loss and thinking about what you could have done better. And then, you know, it's 11 or 12 at night when you get home and then you're back at the rink at 7 a.m. That's a lot. Those are long days and and it's a pretty stressful environment. So good on him. You know, I I think a lot of head coaches don't necessarily get the opportunity to go into the front office. And so maybe he sees that and he's like, okay, this is good transition for me and a good time in my life. So I think the good news here, though, is worth pointing out is that he's still going to be with this organization. He's still going to work for NHL Seattle. Um, We're not sure what that exact title is going to be yet. Uh, I think on that same podcast, he talked about how he for the first time in his life, his career has a business card, but it just says Dave Tippett on it with his name and address. There's no title right now. So they're still working that out. But I think we can, you know, with what he's been doing, it could be some sort of, you know, I could see vice president of hockey operations or something like that is, is what he ends up having a title as. Yeah. And he was very involved. I, I know at least in his time in uh, in Arizona, he was very involved in what was going on at the GM uh, position or in the front office too, as that organization was going through a lot of weird changes within their, uh, their ownership group. Group and they were owned by the NHL for a while, so uh, he did definitely have to have to have his uh, finger on the pulse of what was happening with that team. And I know that he was very much involved in the the day to day operations that happened in the front office there. So uh, an, an interesting move and, and interesting news coming from uh, the NHL Seattle group, but obviously keeping Tippett with the organization is is still very exciting for all of us here because he's a he's a good dude and and a friend of the program like we that's said right, that's right friend yeah. of the pod. first guest friend of the pod <laughs> uh, other news from the NHL Seattle group they made a couple of hires in the last week that's exciting stuff Andy any thoughts on on who they brought in yeah so it, it, it had been kind of quiet uh, you know that, that Dave Tippett news wasn't like a press release or anything it just came out in a podcast but they did actually release some news uh, made a couple hires the, the, I think the, the, the more exciting one or the more high profile one anyways is, uh, is Victor DeBonis they hired uh, to be the, the COO the chief operating officer uh, what's interesting about him is that's a position he held with the Vancouver Canucks uh, recently. So hey, hey, hey! Only John is allowed to talk <laughs> about his team. <laughs> but this is relevant news, so you know we, we won't talk about Elias Pettersson and his tangles. <laughs> but <laughs> Victor Dubois had nothing to do with that. But uh, so he is coming down with a, a vast experience in, in the NHL and, and running you know the operations of the franchise uh, up there in Vancouver. They, regardless of the product on the ice, they have they do run a pretty a pretty good organization up there. Uh, you know that building up there is, is pretty nice when it's when it's filled. Uh, they also hired uh, Ken Ken Johnson, who uh, he's going to be the construction construction executive for OVG Seattle. So he'll be more on the building side of things. Um, but he's a local guy. He, he's done some work with the seawall project on the waterfront. Uh, he was part of the Pike Place market renovation. So uh, he's been around uh, uh, this part for quite a while. Did either of them play in the WHL? Not not that I'm aware of, okay. but I'll have to look up DeBonis on HockeyDB. Okay. So an interesting <laughs> thing about DeBonis, though, is that he helped open Rogers Arena in 1994. Yeah. And that's 
and he worked with Todd on that. So that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that until I, I caught an interview of his on Sportsnet in Vancouver. And um, so he's got the, the experience of opening an arena and then also kind of experience working with Todd. So interesting tie-in, probably makes sense, but it's a COO. Not a lot of fans know who their COOs are. Do you know who your COO is of Vancouver now? Well, No, but it used to be the bonus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did, you nailed it. What about you? I believe it's Matt and Micah of the Wild. That's correct. I'm pretty sure. That's correct. And I don't know who the COO of the Sharks is. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I thought you had it there in front of you. You were looking down. No, like had, I intentionally like did not. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so the COO though, right? They're not necessarily a huge hockey operations role, but it's all on the business side. Right? Oh, it's yeah. hu- hugely important, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. A, a very important role for any organization is who runs the organization. So big hire and big news. Uh, on the topic of construction, though, there was a little bit of news that came out. First and foremost, I saw that there's a fence up all yep. the way around the building. With a sign that says it's a hard hat area now. Whoa. Yeah. So get your, for your hard hat fans. We thought yeah. we were getting news with the trees being removed. But <laughs> yeah. No. Now hard hats now are required. Got fence. We got a fence, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what else happened? <laughs> I, I saw that there was some sort of waiver that came out from OVG regarding the uh, the, the arena. The Seattle Department of Construction uh, and Inspections issued a noise variance waiver for the project, which is a kind of a boring news item, but I'll well, translate it to yourself. why it's important. <laughs> is it reduces, according to OVG, it reduces the timeline by six months. So we already know 2020 is like an aggressive target. October 2020 is an aggressive target. But with the noise variance, that kind of puts us in the best capability of hitting that date. So important. I think they were pushing for it all along. I don't think it was just a rubber stamp. They had to go through some some hoops to do it. So it was finally approved uh, a couple weeks ago. So basically it means they can work overnight. Or, That's right. Or past the, past the normal hours. Yeah, that sorry, you, yeah I should there. explain that. It's like t- basically 24-7, they can, they can haul dirt over there. And, and when we went to the, the press conference for the, when they hired the, the scans of the construction company, they talked about that. They talked about, you know, where their trucks were going to be, or maybe it was a city council meeting anyways, but they talked about how the trucks will be uh, removing debris all night long and yeah. things like that. So they're avoiding um, peak uh, commuter yeah. hours, but for the most part, they can remove the dirt. And, so if you're a big excavate. fan of trucks hauling away debris uh, out there I, late at night. I am. And I was just going to say, John, <laughs> please don't tell me what what variance waivers are and aren't exciting for future reference. <laughs> okay. I yeah, apologize. Judge, I apologize. You, you determine that. San Jose Sharks. San Jose Sharks. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Other Seattle related news. And this one kind of ties in with uh, Andy's insistence on always talking about junior hockey as well. <laughs> <laughs> the Team USA training camp for the World Junior Ch- uh, Championship is going to be right here in the Seattle area. Part of it, at least, will be in Everett. That's pretty cool news. That means that the consensus overall number one pick in next year's draft, Jack Hughes, is likely to be participating right here in the Seattle metropolitan area. What do you think about that, Andy? I think it's really cool. I I, I don't think there's really been any World Junior stuff that happening in the Puget Sound area that, that I can remember anyways. Uh, uh, and the World Junior Championships is a, is a fun tournament. It's, it's much bigger in Canada than it is here, but you know, I think here in the Seattle area and Washington State, uh, it's got a little more interest because of the junior hockey teams that are here. Uh, but Team USA will be practicing. The, the actual tournament will be held in Vancouver and Victoria. So that's why they're practicing so close so they can have a training camp and then head right up. Vancouver. Do There's going to be a few days in Kamloops before the tournament starts too. But Do we know the rosters yet? Uh, we don't know the rosters yet and so there'll probably be more players invited to that camp. That's usually how it happens and they start cutting guys. Um, most of these guys are going to be college players, NCAA players, so uh, Jack Hughes, who, uh, who, who should be the number one pick, will be there, uh, I would guess, even though he's not in college yet. He's in the U.S. development uh, team. Yeah, but it sounds like he's probably not going to play college, right? He'll probably I If mean, he goes number one overall, he might yeah. go right to the NHL, yeah. yeah. Right. He still has that option if, they, if whoever drafts him doesn't want him <laughs> doesn't feel he's ready, but uh, his brother Quinn, he's ready. Yeah, he's ready. His, his brother, <laughs> his brother Quinton Hughes, should also be there too. Who's a Michigan defenseman who was the first round pick of the Canucks last year. So you'll have both Hughes brothers there. Uh, there I suppose there's an outside chance that uh, Everett's uh, Dustin Wolf gets invited. He was with Team USA this summer in the Ivan Halinka Gretzky tournament. Uh, so he's on Team USA's uh, radar, anyways, and he was you know, the top goalie there for for the U.S. So they might throw him a bone since it's here and, and invite him to that. Uh, I don't know that he's probably. At 17, not going to make that team. It's usually a 19-year-old tournament, but uh, he has a chance, and he could, he, they might just invite him along since he's already uh, in town. And we don't know the schedule of that camp, right? Um, it's the 15th through the 18th of December. 14th through 14th, 18th. But, but it will be open. The practices will be open to right. the public, but and they haven't announced times yet. Right. Or so like that's that. something. I mean, to see the future, Jack Hughes is a generational talent. Like, oh, yeah. he, he's going to be elite, elite. And and the Hughes brothers are just two of the guys. There's a lot of other right, former future true. NHL players that'll be there on, on those rosters. If you watch the uh, the World Juniors. I mean, you're seeing future NHL players. Uh, you know, especially for all the all the big countries, the Canada, U.S., the, the 
the Finns, the Swedes, the, you know, the Russians, those, those are all loaded with guys who went up in the NHL. And Canada and, and U.S. have developed a pretty good, intense rivalry at that junior tournament. They historically play on New Year's Eve, and it's usually a pretty good game. All right, let's get into some hockey talk. And I mean, when I say hockey, you mean talk, hockey, I mean, like current NHL. <laughs> We're not talking about hockey. Hockey talk, <laughs> different type of hockey talk. We're talking hard hats. Yeah, I want to talk about a particular disastrous team that we have talked about a number of times. Although we've given them a break here for a few weeks, but uh, obviously it came out over the past week, and this story has been very widely uh, shared and communicated. But the Ottawa Senators are back in the news. Uh, five or six of their players were in an Uber. I believe they're in Arizona, yep. if I'm not mistaken. And they were just sort of kind of talking shop, and they talked very negatively about uh, some of their coaches, particularly Martin Raymond. Martin Raymond. Martin Raymond, maybe? Mar- Martin Raymond. Uh, we don't know. Uh, he's one of the assistant <laughs> coaches, and he apparently runs the penalty kill and used to run the power play. And they were just kind of ripping him, like pretty hard. For whatever reason, the Uber driver decided to release the video of them just talking in the, in the car. Uh, I heard a rumor that maybe it was because they gave him a bad review or something I like that. I heard that rumor too. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, what is the name of the paper in Ottawa? The Citizen uh, picked it up and they released the video. And so uh, it's really gone viral. Lots of different takes on this. Obviously, we've heard them all at this point. You know, every organization out there has guys that get together and talk about their management their coaches or whatever the case. And well, and I think everybody complains about their bosses with their coworkers when they're when they think they're alone or, or you know out somewhere happy hour or something. That's what you do, right? You complain about work. It's American and Canadian <laughs> as apple pie and something poutine. you do. And yeah. so that that's really what they were doing. It's a bummer that this Uber driver decided to release that. You know, I think he probably got some money out of it. I'm sure he paid for it. There's been a lot of fallout. Uh, the, the players all had a press conference where they all apologize. And apparently the senators had that video before it was released. So they, they had already kind of handled this internally. The Ottawa citizen, their beat reporter who usually flies on the team charter was denied access to the team charter, which I saw because the team isn't really happy that his paper ran it. Wow. However, no writer put his name to the story on the paper, which yeah. usually means that none of them wanted to do it, but the editors the editors overruled and <laughs> said we were running the story. So it's an interesting, there's been a lot of fallout for it. Uh, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but of, of all the teams this to happen to, of course it had to be Ottawa, right? Yeah. I really hated this Uber driver for, for doing it too, although it is really entertaining to watch. You're like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Uh, but then at the end of the video, if you watch all the way to the end, he, <laughs> he lets him out of the van. And then for whatever reason, he continues to roll the video and includes this in the leaked video. Uh, but he's just driving around by himself. He kind of yells the F word at somebody else. And then he turns on Come Sail Away by Styx. <laughs> Now, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. So, <laughs> I, you know, he he quickly redeemed himself, at least in my book, by by putting that in there and, and making sure to include it. In the Do video. we know if that song is in the rotation of the game music in Ottawa? I think it has to be now. <laughs> well, there was an Uber ad in yeah, Ottawa, I, I noticed. See that. Yeah, I know. The Uber ad is kind of... <laughs> <laughs> but some of the players, I mean, these these were, it was Steve Duchesne was one of the players who, you know, Steve was one Duchesne. of the veterans. What's that? Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne, what did yeah. I say? Steve, Steve Duchesne. Duchesne. Sorry. That's his dad. <laughs> he was there too. As far as we know. <laughs> he was there maybe. No, it really is. I think he played oh, yeah, the NHL. No, he did. He, that's why, that's why, that's why I didn't just pull that name out of nowhere. Uh, Matt Duchesne was there, but also like some of their younger players like Shabbat, Thomas Shabbat was like in the back seat. So it, it's a bad look for that locker room. You know, we've already heard all the stories about what a mess that team is. Uh, we kind of crap on them all the time, but they're actually playing pretty well. And yes, it's bad, but like they didn't say anything. I don't want to say there make excuses for them, but you know, we tend to get obnoxious in a group and start kind of piling on and acting like more arrogant than we really are. I don't think I'm obnoxious or arrogant, but around us, you are exactly as arrogant as I sound. I don't, I mean, I honestly, I think it's old news in the locker room. Probably. And more fodder for us to talk about. Right. But, I mean, they did say, I mean, like, oh, wait, I don't even pay attention to him, when he, Raymond, when he's talking. What, why do we even have these meetings? I, I feel bad for him because that's out there now. And if anybody else wants to hire that guy, are they going to look at that and say, well, your players don't even listen to you? What kind of coach are you? So it's just, it's just bad for everybody involved. Speaking of coaches getting a raw deal. Oh, good segue. Joel Quenville. <laughs> <laughs> Master segue. Has been shown the gate in, uh, in Chicago after 
11 seasons, 797 games, a record of 452 wins, 249 losses, and 96, I guess, overtime losses slash ties. And in that time, he won three Stanley Cups. Uh, this season, the team was 6-6-3. Six, six, and three. Obviously, it's a roster that has gone through a lot of cap trouble after they signed Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane to long-term Seabrook. massive deals and Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith and... Uh, who else? Corey Schneider, I guess. No, not, he's not on the team. Corey Crawford. <laughs> Different Corey goalie. <laughs> See, it uh, can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. <laughs> they replace Quenville, who's arguably one of the, I mean, at this point, he's become one of the best coaches ever with what he's done in Chicago. Uh, they replace him with a 33-year-old named Jeremy Colleton, who is promoted from the Rockford Ice Hogs. Colleton was only hired by Rockford in uh, May of 2017. It's his first coaching job in North America after four seasons in uh, in Sweden. Shocking, shocking to me that they, A, that they would make this move to dump Quinville, even though it was kind of always rumored over the past year. It's exactly what we were talking about, what is it, last week with the Kings firing, right? Where it's like, well, clearly this isn't the roster that's going to take you back to prominence, right? And the the reaction is just, well, let's fire the coach. Let's just fire the coach. Yeah, you know? and the timing is odd. Like, yeah, the, everyone, I don't think people were expecting a lot of things out of the Blackhawks this year, but why not? So then why not make the change in the offseason when you can have a coach come in who has a whole training camp instead of have to learn these players on the fly? It just it, It's just really weird. You know, maybe they thought with Crawford coming back that maybe this team could make a run, and so we'll see what happens. And then, you know, it's a mediocre start, so they decide, okay, now it's time to make a change. It's just, it makes you wonder, you know, there's rumors that he wasn't getting along with Bowman, the GM. Uh, they At the press conference, Bowman denied that, but you never know what's going on there. That, and that's, that's the thing. Again, it's the talent. It's the talent. And who's responsible? Responsibility is at. It's not Quinville. It's supposed to, or the head coach makes the most of what the talent is and the fact that everybody was picking them for seventh in the central, right? Yep. So again, a ridiculous. The stacked central. <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't that be off it limits actually says too? That. It actually <laughs> says that when you look at the standings online. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I did, yeah. Well, okay. It's stacked and it they still are 500. It's ridiculous. So I just think there's there's more to it than that. Like basically, the Quinville's had a hard time getting along with uh, the Wurtz's well, or Rocky Wurtz for a while. And what do they do now? I mean, they they have these contracts. That I think all those guys have no trade clauses, and even if they didn't, they're the, the, the huge number. Some other teams gonna have to take that on. Um, how do you rebuild that? You have a couple of young players like DeBrinket, who's pretty good. You know, he's he's only what 21, 22 years old. But there's not a whole lot of. It's like L.A. It's very similar to L.A. where yeah. there's not a lot of. Well, young when guys you're really coming. good, you don't draft super high. No, exactly. And then all yeah. of a sudden. You don't have that young youth, and then you pay the stars, right. and now you're now they have other like albatrosses on you there because as they fade. they should just maybe they should just have another expansion draft and see if they can offer. <laughs> Ooh, if, only, yeah. if only if only there are John, one of those. John's calling it right line. now. Duncan Keith starting uh, defense for the Seattle Crap Weasels. Keith wouldn't do, be too bad or taste. Do you know or, he played? Do you know he Robert. played the WHL briefly? Of course he did. <laughs> Let's pause this conversation. You know why? Because we're going to talk about it more with our guest, Miss Emily Kaplan. We now welcome on to Sound of Hockey, a very special guest. We have national hockey reporter for ESPN and co-host of ESPN and Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan, Emily Kaplan. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And uh, so that brings me to my first question, by the way. Why isn't it called ESPN on Ice with Kaplan and Wyshynski? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Uh, Greg is the senior writer here, and he's the one that spearheaded the relaunch of the podcast, so... I am more than happy to take a second filling. <laughs> okay, well, you're. I think you're. You're quickly taking over as as first fiddle there. Just my humble opinion. Um, but you. Uh, so obviously, you've you've come over to ESPN now from Sports Illustrated. You spent three years uh, with Sports Illustrated, uh, and then after kind of the crazy cuts that happened at ESPN, you made the jump over to covering hockey. So what kind of led to that decision for you? And has there been any sort of awkwardness, I guess, since you had to kind of fill some big shoes at ESPN? Yeah, I definitely. Uh, it, it was awkward circumstances, right, where I kind of got the job. Um, I covered football uh, right out of college, and I loved it. Uh, and, and ESPN brought me in for an interview uh, for a football job. And apparently I mentioned a couple times I liked hockey because I hadn't heard back for a couple months. They obviously went through their changes, and they called back and said, look, we don't have a football job you'd want right now, but um, our biggest need is a national NHL reporter. Uh, would you be interested? And it was definitely a career pivot for me. Um, it also, as you alluded to, it was a bit awkward because the guys who covered it did such a great job and, you know, left probably not under the best circumstances. So it felt weird, especially with the perception of ESPN and hockey. But 
it was a personal career risk for me. It was something I was passionate about. I knew they wanted to cover in a different way and I was committed to doing that. So I decided to do it and I have no regrets and I've loved every second of it. I feel like, and John and I were just talking about this yesterday, that ESPN and, and you know, the the guys that were there before, they're, they're so great at what they do and they're, you know, very well respected. But what I love about you and, and especially with Greg as well is that it feels like it's sort of modernizing the way that ESPN looks at hockey. It's a, it's a fun take that I think, you know, brings in a fresh new audience that maybe people of the past and not to rip them or anything like that, but people of the past maybe couldn't have done. Do you think that that's sort of the, the perception that you guys are creating? Yeah. You know, I don't want to compare at all the previous regime and us, but I will just talk about a little bit of my philosophy and the way Greg and I do cover it. There's only two of us. And as long as NHL is not a rights holder, we know we're not going to get all of the resources in the world to cover the sport the way ESPN covers NFL. Uh, that said, we're going to do the best job we can do, and we want to write really cool, in-depth, and maybe a bit offbeat articles that would entice the really diehard hockey fans and take them deeper, but also write things that are about hockey culture or, or some of the periphery things that can transcend and, and reach larger audiences that ESPN has that might not necessarily care about you know, the New Jersey Devils versus Colorado Avalanches <laughs> Tuesday night game. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that I'm probably offending. Uh, but, uh, you know, can kind of speak to hockey players and how they relate to larger culture. And I think those are the stories I love telling. I really I really think ESPN stepped up. I find myself reading a lot more ESPN articles than, than I have in the past. And I was a subscriber before. So I just think it's a testimony to both of you because it's, it's some compelling content that I'm interested in. So I think it's working at least to reach people like me. So I appreciate that. So um, in one of those articles you wrote about was the reluctance of hockey players to talk about their own accomplishments. And, you know, what what was the inspiration of that piece? And how different is it? Have you found hockey culture compared to the NFL culture you were covering? Yeah, I think uh, this is one of the stories where my perspective is different than someone who's covered hockey their entire career. I came from NFL locker rooms where you could go up to any guy you didn't have to have any relationship with them. You could be like, why are you the best defensive tackle in the world? You could go on a tangent for 20 minutes with amazing color. It was fantastic. Uh, then you go into a hockey locker room. And I mean, outside of like a Patrick Line who has this, you know, uncanny sense of self and, and precociousness, uh, you can go to the best players in the world and say, like, why are you great? Like the, and if the NHL Stanley Cup finals last year was the perfect example. I think it was Kuznetsov. Someone's like, you're doing great in the playoffs. Like, what is it? And he goes, I'm not doing great. My teammates are doing great. And it's just so differential and it just seems so awkward to me. The fact that they're using these pronouns like we and you instead of literally saying I, it's it's this nervous tick they have that they were taught from a young age. So I just thought I should write about it. And what's funny about that story is once it came out, so many people in hockey came up to me. And it's like, I've always thought that I just never, you know, kind of put it all together. You know, you, you kind of just put it on paper and I never thought to do that. And I, I think that's just one of the benefits I have from not doing this my entire life. Do you think the NHL can learn something from that? Like, I, I feel and, and I know that we've talked about it a lot on our podcast. I, I'm pretty sure you guys have talked about it quite a bit that uh, the NHL, it just, you know, one of the things it lacks in terms of growing its audience is marketing its own players a little bit. And so seeing the NFL players talk like that and just say, yeah, I'm the best player in the league. And, you know, with that kind of individualism and, and do you think that the NHL could learn from that? And would it actually help the league grow? It totally would. And there's been certain players who definitely understand it. Nathan McKinnon is a guy who gets it. He's like, look, we understand our place as hockey players. I understand the culture. And, and, you know, a lot of times it's just not kosher in a locker room to speak about yourself because uh, that's just not the way we do things. At the same time, it's limiting the growth of the sport. So I'd love to see, I mean, Austin Matthews is the most marketable guy in the history of guys that could come through the NHL, right? A Mexican mom grew up in Arizona, decided to become an NHL fan because his uncle took him to a Coyotes game, is the number one pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs as their savior. And yet in his first year in the league, uh, through two years in the league, turns down every endorsement opportunity possible. His only uh, endorsement was with, I believe, Bauer, which is a manufacturer. Um, you know, is not featured on the arena, is not in the programs, is not doing anything that a mainstream American would know who he is. And that's just such a shame. So, Well, he uh, did do that GQ spread. Yeah, we've talked a lot well, about that's that. Year three. <laughs> that's year three, uh, which is interesting. He's finally kind of understanding what it takes. And, you know, I also look at like celebrations is something I think about a lot. 
Like yeah. how many times on Monday morning, I don't know if you've ever, you know, on Reddit's NHL NFL thread, one of their best things is just recapping the celebrations. And it's so fun. Yeah. In the NHL, like PK Subban does a, a bow and arrow and it's so offensive to people in Montreal. Like I literally think he's traded <laughs> away because of that. Uh, <laughs> most fun I had in the NHL this season so far was that Maple Leafs uh, Blackhawks game when Patrick Kane and Austin Matthews were going back and forth with that little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems so fun, and they just, you know, it, it just dies down. It's like one night only. Yeah. They got to mic the players. They got to put mics on all the players and just let them talk their trash. Yes. <laughs> Since we have you on and you're in Chicago, and the big news, obviously, was Quenville's firing. Uh, I know you were there uh, at the press conference. Uh, did you see that firing coming so soon? No, I, I know things were awkward and tense, and, you know, there's all these swirling things that hint at a transition in Chicago. Um, I knew that Quinville probably was not long for this job just because of the construction of the team. And he's an established coach who has won and they're trending younger and trying to rebuild. Uh, that said, the timing of 15 games in was, it was definitely um, surprising. I, I think part mm-hmm. of it is that they didn't feel comfortable firing him, at, firing him after last year when they didn't have Corey Crawford and, you know, Marion Host. I'm glad that John McDonough brought that up, the team president, because that was a significant loss that not many people talked about. I mean, he was a significant A leader, but B offensive producer for them. So they didn't feel comfortable doing it last year. It kind of gave him a little bit of leeway this year, but uh, the, with the hand he was dealt, it, it was almost a, a near impossible situation for him. And I think they just wanted to change and there was just going to be no easy time to do it. And, and you mentioned the roster construction and we talked about this also with the Kings. You know, the coach gets, the, gets the, the brunt of it, but it's really the general manager that put that roster together. So where do you think Stan Bauman now is, is in this situation? Yeah, well, John McDonough, who I mentioned previously, said mm-hmm. at the press conference, I had no thoughts in my mind about firing um, McDonough or Bowman and uh-huh. Bowman. Um, it was one or the other. So uh, I think he's safe for now. I, I think they're going to try to feel out what they can do with this new coach. Uh, but it seems as of now, um, his job security is pretty safe, which I know from the outside looking in, a lot of people are rolling their eyes when you look at a lot of the players <laughs> that he's traded away, you know, a Panarin, a Nicholas Yarmelson, uh, some of the some of the moves that he hasn't pan, quite panned out. But um, we shall see. And do you buy the whole Bowman Quinville not getting along together? Uh, look, they're going to deny it till the end, I, I think. <laughs> Definitely a hint there that they didn't see eye to eye. I know. I mean, perfect example, like some of Quinville's favorite players. He adored Nicholas Yarmelson and he's traded away. Of course, there's going to be a little bit of friction there. But I also do want to not, you know, dramatize it. And I, I think Bowman brought up a good point. If you work with anyone for a decade, you're going to have agreements and disagreements. You, you reach great levels of success together, but that doesn't mean you saw eye to eye on every single thing. And maybe those little disagreements they had are the ones that kind of leaked out. At some point, you're going to get in an Uber and talk trash about them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also in the Uber, I'd love to talk about that story for a second. But uh, my favorite part of that story, there's two things. One is that if anyone watches till the end, the Uber driver drives the last like 10 seconds to the sticks come sail away. Nobody yep. talked about that. We talked about that on our podcast. Oh, good. Funny. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, I just thought it was an insight into the great vernacular of hockey players. What did Duchesne say about his twiggy stuck in the glass? It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel for those guys so much. It was a gross invasion of privacy. But hey, it was hockey players who were talking about hockey in their off time. Like the coach should be pretty pleased. Yeah, they had had a tough bracky too. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you? Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but what do you? What do you think the chances Quinville ends up in Seattle? You know, whenever any, any high profile <laughs> coach leaves his job, you know, because we don't have a lot to talk about over here yet. We're kind of like, oh, could Quinville get here or could Trotz get here? What do you think about that? Personally, I don't totally see it. Uh, that said, who knows these days, right? With expansion teams, uh, there's, there's stuff that leaks out, but we don't quite know the grander plans of, mm-hmm. of the men in charge. Uh, with a guy like Quinville, I look at his age. He's six years old. He's won before. Um, there might be a, a bit of a, a revenge aspect, but I want to prove the Blackhawks <laughs> wrong, and I want to show that I can still win. And taking on a team that's not quite ready to win right away um, might go against that. I, I see him maybe in Edmonton makes so much sense for me where the team is probably ready to win and they got Connor McDavid. Uh, you just need the right coach in there. As for Seattle, I mean, we can probably go into this further if you'd like, but I think what the Golden Knights did was such an anomaly. And I, I'm sure Seattle is going to surprise in many ways, but to expect that level of success so soon might be unreasonable. And 
And though it would be a great thing for your legacy to be able to lead an expansion team and, and, and form it from, you know, bottom up, uh, the reality of it is that's a much harder task than inheriting a roster that already uh, is in place. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the reality of it doesn't sound that legitimate. I, I totally agree with you. I think he's probably going to be back in the league coaching another team with a chance to win relatively soon. What I could see, I mean, he's been with the Blackhawks for, I want to say it's like 11 seasons, right? So maybe he does want to take advantage of the, the year or two off from being behind the bench and um, but either way, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, as uh, as we just alluded, we we now in Seattle have about six GMs and 10 coaches based on all the rumors that have come out. So. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just want to make sure they have office space for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. They're still building it out. When, when Trot showed up at the airport after the finals on his way to oh, Canada, okay. everybody lost their minds here. I loved that. I loved yeah. that entire uh, <laughs> Well, it wasn't even a 12-day news cycle. It was like a 12-hour news cycle. Yeah, I didn't love it. I thought that was uh, crazy. Um, okay, so when you you were out here, I believe, in late winter or early spring, and we had a chance to meet up, but what, what if anything, surprised you about the market here on your visit? Just that there was such a hockey community already that is, you know, there and it, it's thriving, but can only it only has it has constraints with the current setup, right? It's it's two junior teams and and there's only so many ranks and there's no NHL team that really, as we've seen in so many other markets like Dallas or Nashville, really does promote an explosion of growth in youth hockey. So I think what's so amazing about Seattle is there's so many pieces already there. It's perfect. There's already a great amount of interest. And if you just put an NHL team there, it's bound to explode. And and around here, there's been a lot of, you know, people putting the cart before the horse a little bit, wanting to know what the name's going to be. There's been fan polls and the times at a poll uh, or, or a tournament. And you recently talked to NHL players about that uh, in your roundtable uh, piece that you did, which was great. Are you surprised that so many thought that the Sonic should be the name of the NHL team here? <laughs> yeah, I think that just shows, as we alluded to earlier, the um, uncreative nature of so many <laughs> Like oh, Sonic, it just tips off the tongue. Yeah, that's because you heard it for many, many years. Like, <laughs> not that creative. Uh, unfortunately, I left out with the best response in that, uh, which came from Jack Eichel, and it, I was remiss not to include it. I, I think I just transcribed it and somehow got lost in my document. But he suggested the Seattle Shockers. Oh, oh, yeah, that's, that's, could be seen as inappropriate. Yeah. Likely, but it definitely would get a good. Uh, it would definitely rile some people up. <laughs> there's, a, there's a beer league team out here called that. So <laughs> you know what? Someone responded to that. So I we would never <laughs> want to plagiarize them. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, is there a name? Is there a name out there that you've heard that you like for Seattle? You know what? I deferred to uh, TJ Oshi because he was the only one I talked to that actually had a local knowledge, and yeah. he liked the. I believe it's the Totems. Because uh, right. his youth coach uh, now went on with that, so I'll just defer to him and let's go totems. <laughs> well, Emily, Emily, I'm really eager to get more dog mascots in the NHL, so oh, that's what I'm yeah. kind of pushing for. How do we get the? How do we make this happen? I'm sure you're on the cause. Yeah, no, there's can never be enough good dogs out there. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but I will talk to PETA and Paws and any dog organization. Okay. I think Kuznetsov said Sea Dogs, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. Sea so, Dogs. There you go. Done and done. The, actually, the best response in all of that and the best response in the NHL, one of the guys who is really colorful is, is Genny Kuznetsov. Um, and he talked about the color scheme. And I loved what he said. There's too many dark colors in the NHL. Bring some lightness. I think he said <laughs> silver, gold. Um, so, I, that's what I'm most interested in because it felt like everyone else I talked to just um, – Lazily is like, lad, just do what the Seahawks did. That looks good. Yeah. You mentioned Vegas earlier, and and you were you were around them, I believe, a lot during that Cup uh, run that, that they yeah. had last year. And what do you what do you make of their start this year? Is this more what the team they really are? And last year was more the anomaly. Probably. Uh, maybe they're somewhere in between, but. Uh, I think they were a bit unlucky. Obviously, they had the Nate Schmidt suspension. This is a team that yeah. doesn't have a number one defender, right? There's no like shutdown guy or profiles as a number one. They've got a lot of good guys. Nate Schmidt's the closest they had to that. So to lose him for 20 games is pretty significant. Uh, Stasny is out. That was a huge move for them to get him, and they haven't really gotten his benefit. Max Pacioretty, you know, he's had flashes. He's been slightly injured. He's just kind of finding his way. So I think they've been a bit unlucky to begin the season. I think they're probably better than they are right now, but I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Hmm. All right, we're going to transition now into our segment, Buy, Sell, or Hold, which our listeners know very well, and uh, Emily has graciously agreed to join us on that segment. So this is a special version of Buy, Sell, or Hold. Emily, our first Buy, Sell, or Hold question. Coach Q working in the NHL this season. Buy, sell, or hold? I'll hold until the end of the season, but buy it. 
Is that I, cheating? Is that how it works? Uh, <laughs> no, that's sort of cheating, yeah, but <laughs> that's okay. Okay, so what makes you what makes you think buy as opposed to uh, as opposed to we'll see him next season? So, like conventional wisdom says, look, you've been behind a bench for so long, you're being paid a lot of money not to coach. Why don't you just enjoy some time with your family, reset, and, and find the perfect situation for you? That said, I know the way guys like Joel Quinville think; they are uber competitive. There's something he's probably antsy right now. It's been six days since he's been behind a bench and can't wait to get back out there. So I think the first good enough opportunity that comes out, he's going to seize. Do, do you think that there's teams that are struggling that have good rosters that might, the coach might be a little anxious right now with him out there? Totally. And, you know, <laughs> I look at last year it was the first year we didn't have any in-season changes in it, or since original six expansion. And I asked so many people like, what is that as a trend? And they're like, look, it was just kind of a fluke. It was the way things fell. That meant that next year there's probably going to be plenty of firings because people <laughs> were just given a longer leash last year, really. And so there's so many teams right now where the coach already was in a bit of a tenuous situation. They're underperforming. And once uh, there's someone available on the market like Joel Quinville, if your owner is willing to pay for him, uh, your job security is much lower than it was. <laughs> so you better start winning. Right. The next NHL US TV deal will have more than one media partner by selling hold bye please <laughs> uh, but, selfishly speaking of course uh, I do think it was a short-sighted decision for the NHL to only partner with NBC when every single other league uh, has understood the benefits of, of spreading the wealth but one of the more interesting things I think is okay how forward thinking is the NHL going to be because traditional thinking is like look we all tune in for a week Wednesday night game and and a Sunday afternoon game and it's all about traditional TV, but we're in the age of cable cutter, cord cutters and, mm -hmm. and people wanting experiential things and people watching things on mobile. And I'm curious to see, you know, what things have we not thought of yet that the NHL will do to keep cultivating its young audience? It's, it's one of the young, more affluent fan bases of the four professional sports. And I'd love to see them lean into that and, and be very forward thinking. Do you think them partnering with uh, Major League Baseball TV was a big step in that direction? Uh, it was a big step for me because that means that <laughs> games were on ESPN Plus, which is the first right. step towards ESPN hockey domination again. Uh, <laughs> my bosses are probably like, what is she doing? She's totally... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think any... I, I, yes. <laughs> I'll just go with that. I'll, okay. I'll stop digging. Buy, sell, or hold. Keeping your conversations down in Uber rides. Uh, yeah, buy. I uh, <laughs> took a couple. I was at a wedding this weekend in Florida, and uh, all I could think of anytime I was in an Uber was like, just don't say anything. Just, just please buy it. All I right. was in an Uber, Uber recently where the driver was live streaming our ride together, which I thought was odd. It, no. It, it, his followers were asking me questions about like what kind of pizza I liked. It was very strange. What was he streaming it to? I don't know, but he had like a little he had a camera propped up and it was, you could see his face and he's like, Oh, my my viewers want to know what kind of pizza you like. And I so he said, Excuse me? Like what are you talking yeah, about? <laughs> I'm with you. That's weird. So buy seller hold Jonathan Taze, Duncan Keith, and Patrick Kane are still Blackhawks at the end of the season. Uh bye. That that's a weird question because as you've seen with Stan Bowman, he can kind of do the unexpected. Like the Panarin Prasad trade came out of nowhere. Kane, I, I can't imagine a world where he's not a Black, uh, Blackhawks player in the next three years. Right. I just think he's untouchable. Taze is kind of the interesting one because it would do so much harm, I think, for the fan base in the locker room if they traded him at the same time. Like if they can find a deal, it, it brings them one step closer to rebuilding, which they're not ready to admit. Yeah. Keith is the most movable of the three because of his contract. Um, it's, it's a pretty low cap. It's pretty much half the cap of those two guys. Uh, he has a no movement clause. He'd have to waive it. So I just think there's there's too much uh, there. There's just too many contingencies for any of those guys to be on the move. But I wouldn't put it past uh, the Blackhawks to do something unexpected like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then a uh, really hard hitting buy spell, buy sell or hold here. Uh, Shotgun Jake is better than Catfish Jake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Catfish Jake is my friend. I, I really appreciate him. He let me come to the catfish store with him. We bought the catfish together. I met him at the arena. I saw him stuff it into his pants. Uh, once you go to somebody, you can never uh, bet against them. <laughs> oh, man. Incredible. All right. Our final buy, seller hold, Penn State Hockey will win the national title before Penn State football. Oh, I love it. Um, bye. Sure. I'm down on Penn State football these days. All in on Hockey Valley. Yeah. Ooh, Hockey Valley. That's great. I I forgot that we call it that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And it's, you know, it's another uh, indication of what can happen when a, donor, when a donor brings you, how many millions of dollars was it to start the program? Like 
200 million or something? Yeah, thank you, fracking. We appreciate you, Pagulas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's not talk about that ever again. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? I will say this about the Pagulas, though. Like, incredible amount of money, and they want to spend it on the uh, causes they're passionate for. They bought the Sabres, the Bills, and Penn State hockey within a, a great scheme. But when Penn State hockey, they pledged. I don't, I don't, I'm going to butcher the numbers, but they pledged a very large sum of money. And then all of a sudden they're like, look, if you put a couple extra million in, you can get a women's team. And they had no problem doing that as well. So I think that was a very cool thing they did. Very cool. And it has been a, it has been a really cool story. Like in, in all jokes aside, like seeing how quickly they've, they've risen to prominence there and bringing a big 10 and and a large school into uh, hockey prominence very quickly has been pretty cool to watch. For sure. All right, our final question, and uh, this is important. It is for all the marbles. John's a Sharks fan, Andy's a Canucks fan, and I'm a Wild fan. Which of us should be most excited right now, Emily? I'm kind of in on the Wild. Yes! The Canucks fan should be excited because you're not as bad as we all thought you were. That's right. Um, and it's backhanded. <laughs> uh, the Sharks look... At, I think they're probably going to make a great run and make me feel stupid and go to the Western Conference <laughs> Finals. But yes, yes. The Wild, we'd all written off. They're the oldest team in the league. Uh, we kind of questioned why did their new GM, Paul Fenton, not do anything in the offseason to shake it up. But uh, they're proving them right. I, I, they look really good right now. They're one of the best teams in the Central, and it's a really hard division. And uh, I've got no reason to feel discouraged about them. Darren's going to be hard to deal with now. Yep. I know. Yep. Insufferable. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, Emily, thank you so much for, for joining yeah. us. This has been a lot of fun for us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate you asking me. We now will turn to our weekly one-timers. First weekly one-timer, Milan Lucic, the, uh, the always tough always rough and tumble behemoth of a man on skates under a, he got in a little bit of trouble although it really is just a, a slap on the wrist he got a small fine for essentially hunting killing and punching <laughs> matthew joseph uh, a rookie for the tampa bay lightning i don't know if you guys saw this but it was yes. pretty vicious man i don't know how he did not he got to find ten thousand dollars which apparently is the maximum you can find a person how is he not suspended though i to me, I have more of a problem with this kind of incident than than a, a hit when someone's trying to make a hockey play. Maybe they get too high. That happens in a fraction of a second. Yes, that yeah. to me is more acceptable than this because he admitted afterwards that it was retaliatory that well, he went the cam- after him. Yeah, there's a camera angle of of him, and I know that we don't try to be the podcast that breaks down the suspension conversation, <laughs> but there is a, a camera angle of him just sort of following the guy around yep. the ice and just lining him up, lining him up, and then absolutely nails Leveling him and, him. and then punching him, him right week. in the face. And then, yeah, while the guy is laying on the ice, he starts punching him in but the head. He actually it's... said to a reporter the next day, it was retaliatory. But my favorite part is he said, I told the league safety commission, the commission that I did it in a way that I was sure wasn't going to injure him. So I don't understand how you like blindside a guy and then punch <laughs> him in the face. But but do it in a way that you're not you're sure he's not going to get injured. I mean, yeah. it was a pretty good punch in the face. Actually, the hit was really clean. It just yes. was. The it punch was in so, the face, though. <laughs> it was so obvious that he was just trying to line him up from well, down the ice. Clean as in there was no puck nearby. Well, yeah. I mean, he still hit him. <laughs> yeah. like, he didn't hit him in the, the head. head. It was yeah. clearly like, interference. It, it would have been clean if he had the puck, but he didn't have the puck. And but he at had least he was. Down. But I think what you're saying is it was it was facing him, him in the head, right, yeah. he, or behind, right? It was Lucic trying to contribute any way he knows how he's kind of one of the last the guardians as you as they say well, uh, he's been a huge disappointment in edmonton right big contract little right and the, the dinosaurs love this kind of play though oh, oh yeah. god oh, i'm yes. sure don cherry was was happy john to see tortorella it. is just thrilled yes. yeah now on that play he because he was i think playing on, on mcdavid's line with the scrum afterwards you see mcdavid like sort of involved, like getting into it and holding on to guys. It's pretty funny to see all the guys come rushing in there after that play. Our next weekly one-timer. Man, I love it when a microphone picks up some on-ice conversation. (laughs) And it happened in an NBC sports broadcast this past week of the National Predators against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, it was Nikita Zadorov, 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 who's a pretty tough blue liner, a, a young player uh, for the Colorado Avalanche. He was basically kind of talking some trash with P.K. Subban saying that, uh, oh, you don't want to fight me, you're a you-know-what. He was questioning his manhood. Yes. Uh, not a not a kind word to call anyone. And also, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and P.K. Subban, we aren't going to play the clip because it's pretty much all cursing and we try to keep this a relatively PG show. But... PK uh, essentially says back to him, well, you're a horrible player. It's painful to watch. 
Uh, <laughs> and the whole thing gets picked like, up. Why and, would I fight you? Because you're terrible. That's yeah. basically what his message was. Yeah, it's downright painful <laughs> me to, for me to watch anyway. So what's the point in fighting you? Uh, Pierre Maguire jumps on and, and apologizes for the, the naughty language. Again, it's yet another indication that they need to just mic everybody and let us hear what they're saying all the time because it makes it so much more yeah, fun. Yeah, they should have a separate track that you can listen to online. That's the player track. Where you yes. verify and, that and you can hear everything. Like, yes. and you, yeah, verify your <laughs> age. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. What, what I find funny is too is that it's, it pains me to watch you play. I, I, is there anybody that you're pained by watching their play? They're so bad that it makes you feel pain. There are times. <laughs> yeah, I think I think every fan of every team has a player <laughs> like that. Our next weekly one-timer, the Arizona Coyotes, basically the way to beat them is by never getting a power play against them because they score shorthanded goals like John drinks coffee, <laughs> which is a lot. So what, what I would say here, and this is kind of crazy, they had two goals in one penalty, uh, in one two-minute penalty against the Philadelphia Flyers the other night, and it was like one after another. And you, you got to come off that power play as the Philadelphia Flyers and be like, mother of God, what did we do? <laughs> now, it, <laughs> It so happens that the Flyers ended up winning this game, but I mean, that's crazy. So they're now plus five on the PK this year in terms of goals, or they've scored five more goals than they've allowed. They've scored nine shorthanded goals already in whatever 14 games it's been that they've played, which is pretty remarkable. uh, Is there a record for the season? There is, and I don't know what it is. I'm sure sure they're on pace for it. They have to be. No, I played on one team as, I think it was a squirt or a peewee, where the coach had a very specific plan, which was you put the top guy in the in the four-man box, it was more of a diamond, and the guy at the top would go up and stand right, he'd be our best offensive player, and he'd go and stand kind of between the defensemen and try to pick off passes, and if he got it, he'd just get in on a breakaway and score, right? But that was squirts or peewees. <laughs> yeah, that's squirts. <laughs> yeah. The these level, level play a little different. Yeah, these kinds of things just don't don't work at the NHL level, but the uh, the Coyotes are proving us wrong. So let's see if that trend can continue because that's a that's a pretty cool thing. Our next weekly one-timer... The saga in Toronto continues with William Nylander as GM Kyle Dubas continues his, I guess you'd call it a standoff, in trying to sign the young star. They still haven't reached a deal, and the 22-year-old remains still unsigned. And now, uh, apparently, the team has asked other teams in the league for their, uh, I guess, their trade offers. So where there's smoke, there's fire with this kind of stuff. About Well, we talked about this like a month ago or three weeks ago. And at that point, the Leafs, their their public stance anyways was, we're not not interested in the trade. But as this deadline approaches, it says to me that that maybe they're not even still not close to, to signing a deal if they're now, you know, requesting trade offers from people. But that also puts them a little bit in a hole. Like if you're another team, you're going to lowball them a little bit knowing you're up against the wall well, here. Well, why would you trade? For, I mean, why not offer sheet them? Yeah, you could do that right? too. That's, that's what I don't well, trust. I think, I think teams are afraid of that if they set a precedent by offer sheeting that other teams are going to come in and offer. I mean, because everyone seems to be afraid to offer sheet other yeah. teams. Well, yeah, I, know, I, know, I know the history yeah, there. The but, retribution. but it's, I think uh, Kyle Turris was the, the last kind of holdout he signed and then four days later he was like traded. Yeah. So it's a sign and trade type thing. I don't I don't know if that's predetermined, but you can imagine even if Nylander were to sign. There's the probably next... some ill will at this right. point. Right. And the locker room's gonna be kind of weird too, because yeah. they're like, Oh, I didn't want to be a part of the team or and which is BS, right? This is a business and they, they need to kind of protect their long term health and, and their value. So I wish somebody would offer sheet. And then Toronto can match it or they don't. Did you, you see go. the Toronto fan the other day? He has a Nylander jersey on and he had taped money to it all over it. It was covered in dollar bills. I thought that was pretty funny. So so the fans may not be very happy either with what's going on. Please. Yeah. yeah. I, I, what I thought was funny is they were American dollar bills, so I'm not sure what's up with that. Ooh. <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Better exchange rate. Either way, he's now within three weeks of the deadline to actually get signed in order to be able to play this season. So something's got to give there pretty soon. Our next weekly one-timer, whoopsh, Brian Boyle. Well, this is a guy we don't talk about too much. Big Brian Boyle, who was diagnosed with cancer uh, over the last year, but has continued to play through his uh, through most of his treatment, just had the the news, the very good news that his cancer is in remission. And on Hockey fi- hockey Fights Cancer Night in uh, Pittsburgh, which is a, just a really cool thing that the NHL does, he scored his first career hat trick. I thought that was 
just awesome. I just wanted to throw that in there really quick and talk yeah. about it. It's I pretty amazing. It so it's cool. like you, you, it's one of those things that you would see like in a cheesy Hallmark movie or right. a Lifetime movie and you would like, that would never happen. If if Hallmark did a hockey, hockey movie, movie yeah, yeah, about a guy who had cancer. But but that's one of those things where when you see those in a movie, you think, that, that, that come on, that's great, yeah. but that would never actually really happen. And then it happens and it's really cool. Very cool. That was a, that was a quick one. That's kind of how these are supposed to be, by the way. But. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Our next weekly one-timer. Whoopsh. We talked about Penn's caps, which Andy, you generally are, you've, you've been on the record to say that you're just not a fan of Penn's caps. Yeah, I got anymore. really tired of it, but I have to say like two games this year, the, op- the one that really second good. night of the season was really good. Really and then the one good. the other night was really good. So yeah. I may have to come around on that. So the one this past week, Ovechkin and Crosby both scored goals. Then at the end of the game, Malkin, Evgeny Malkin gets kind of angry and hits TJ Oshie in the face with his shoulder. <laughs> it was a totally questionable hit because he was kind of away from the puck, but also TJ Oshie kind of skated into him with his face. <laughs> Oshie had to leave for like concussion protocol and he looks kind of shaken up, but then he comes back and scores the game winning goal with one minute left. And you're like, wow, this is, this <laughs> yeah, is good yeah. stuff, man. Yeah, this yeah, is the legend yeah. of TJ Oshie. Yeah, That's it right. lives on. Like, it lives years on. from now, it'll be, he came back with like one arm hanging off <laughs> yeah, and right. blood everywhere and he still scored the goal. Yeah. And then he skated back on the ice, pulled his jersey over his head and drank a beer through it. <laughs> oh, nice. Good call. Good. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up our weekly one timers. Let's move on to get off my lawn. We haven't had one of these for a couple of weeks. Man, uh, I have one here. I would like to express my frustration with some of the terrible, terrible, I guess, game ops traditions that have started to crop up here over the past few years. And there's always things, right, that are happening in NHL buildings, but a few of them have kind of stuck out to me lately. One of them was brought to my attention while we were watching that Sharks Wild game on Tuesday, <laughs> which is the little the little organ thing that they do when they're announcing Sharks goals. It goes a little something like this. Scoring for the Sharks, Joe Pavelski. Bam, bam. <laughs> the assist to, who else plays in the Sharks? Logan Couture. <laughs> Bam, bam. You know what I'm talking about. Terrible. I know exactly what you're talking about. I thought I was the only lawn. one. I thought I was the only one to talk about the sharks. I don't. Does that count? Like this is this is not what I signed up for. That's not what you meant no. with this bet. Okay. I, I have not only noticed that. So I've been to games there, and you hear it when, obviously when it's there. It's always noticeable to me. It's always distracting, but it's just just as distracting when you watch a sharks game on TV. So I'm with you because you can never not hear it somehow, even exactly. on TV. Even on TV, it always comes okay, through. Okay, well, now that you're talking about the Sharks, how about the Minnesota Wild and their like stupid Excel Energy power play, power play, power play? <laughs> that goes on for like another thirty seconds, though. Yeah, yeah, it's, you have to, yeah throughout the whole power yeah. play, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like there's an echo in in Excel Energy Center. I'm I'm in full agreement with you on that one. Actually, as a diehard Wild fan, that's the probably the one thing that they do from a game op standpoint that I'm just like, my God, I I can't deal with this. And you know that that's like one of those things that was, because uh, it's it's the XL Energy power play. So you know that that's like a, a paid have thing. To, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You think so, huh? But, well, but, yeah. But they could just say the Minnesota Wild are on the XL power play and leave it at that. They could. They certainly could, but they don't. Every team in the league kind of does that too. Yeah. Where it's like it's a way to sell some money, make some money. Yeah. Not but, sell some money, make some money. <laughs> you want to buy some, some money? money? That is a weird business strategy. <laughs> do you guys have other, other things that well, frustrate so, you with games? Ops around the league. Since we've, since we've kind of criticized all of our teams, like I'm actually, this may be surprising because a lot of people like this. I'm not a fan of the Ric Flair woo in Vancouver. Ooh. It was fun at first, back in to their cup run in 2011. It was pretty fun. But now, and, and now the fans expect it. After a goal, you start hearing woos in the crowd before the actual woo. And and now I've seen that creeping into other other arenas. I see it happening in the Western Hockey League. It's just, I'm over it. I don't want to hear Ric Flair yelling woo anymore. So we've picked on all our teams. Yeah. <laughs> Except Andy, Andy self-inflicted wound. That's right. His, yeah. his Canucks. Yeah. Can't we just like have them just like announce the goal and yeah. be done with it? I, I would be fine with that. I liked it. I used to like that back in the day. You know, you can if you have a guy that's got a, a good voice and a good goal call and whatever, that to me is you know. Hey, it's the new Hugfest uh, NHL. I know. Millennials. It's millennials. That's right. It's millennials' fault. Yeah. I'm sure it is. <laughs> millennials yeah. need that little organ noise <laughs> in San Jose. It's all the techers down there. There are a couple of good ones, though. I guess, <laughs> speaking of the Canucks and Game Ops, they, are they the ones that do the personalized goal songs, Andy? Yes, they have personalized goal songs, like much like you see in Major League Baseball where yeah. 
players have their own walk-up music, so they've gone to personalized goal scores, that, goal songs. That DJ has to be like sharp and ready to go. He must have like a big uh, or buttons, a bunch of buttons in front of him with players' numbers on. Yeah. Or well, whatever. sometimes you don't know who scored the goal, that right? Could, that there's could be a, a problem. Tip, so I bet he gets like... that wrong pretty often. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't see a deflection in front. Does or, everybody mm-hmm. have them, or just a, a I'm few? I'm not sure. I think I think most of the players do. We need to investigate. Yeah, this. We, we need further. Mm-hmm. Maybe the bonus can tell us. Maybe we'll see that in Seattle now. Uh, good call. That's that's our week uh, of uh, get off my lawn. Next. Let's talk about, and this is what we're going to do to wrap up the show, our games on the radar for the next week. What do you have, John? On Thursday night, it might surprise you, but the San Jose Sharks are Whoa. playing <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a big matchup. I like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a West Coast game, so it's 730. Um, pretty excited about that. You know, Sharks have been kind of festering along since they beat the Minnesota Wild mm-hmm. last <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, they just way. wrapped up their seven-game road trip with a 5-2 and two record, by the way. Yeah, that's who? The what? I, I thought we were talking about the Sharks. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yep. Okay. All right. So, anyway, uh, it should be a good benchmark see how uh, Toronto and, and San Jose fare off. So, so I have two games on the radar. Wednesday in Chicago, my favorite team, St. Louis Blues, head into Chicago for the Joel Quinville Bowl. Oh, good that. call. Yeah, good call. He, he coached both those teams, and there's already fans in St. Louis but I thought you hate, him to come I back. I thought you hate St. Louis and Wayne Gretzky. I don't thought that I hate St. Louis or Wayne Gretzky. I, they, just, they bore me, but I'm going to watch Wayne this Wayne Gretzky game. bores you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, when he was, when he was a blue, yes. Okay. <laughs> Can you say blue? Is he, was he a blues he was or a was blue. he a blue? Yeah. Uh, well, they did have those really <laughs> weird, like, red and yellow jerseys at the time with like the diagonal lettering so I could see and I'll what. never I'll never forget uh, Steve Eisenman beating him in there and the, getting past him in that playoff game for that game winning goal mm. the other game I have Darren is in Thursday the, the, the Elias Pettersons are in Minnesota oh there you ooh. go <laughs> well, ooh have rivalry another, <laughs> another bat on the line for, so yeah so yeah. next next for week it's either going to be the Wild or the, the Wild or the Canucks yeah alright so this wraps up episode 10 thank you so much once again again to Emily Kaplan for joining us. It was great talking to to you if you're listening, which <laughs> still probably listening. Are, yeah. probably are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we very much uh, appreciate you at home as well, listening and supporting our podcast and continuing to s- subscribe on iTunes and on Spotify and on wherever else you listen to your podcast. And make sure to leave that five-star review if you haven't already. We will talk to you all next week for episode 11.